Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to the Night Shift. This is Tell Me Everything, live from Manhattan and Brooklyn and South Carolina. The hardest working show in radio, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Hope you had a great week. I'm glad you're still with us. I'm glad we all made it through. For the next three hours, we're going to be at 866-997-4748. We are going to be trying to make sense of the week we just got through. Everything from the Mar-a-Lago very special Nazi Thanksgiving all the way, well, through how Joe Biden and the White House and the Republican Party handled deciding railway workers couldn't get seven paid sick leave days a year. In between, there's Nick Fuentes. (laughs) There's everything else that's happened in politics over the last week. And of course, we're gonna have to talk about what happened tonight on Twitter. I'm so tired of petulant men. I'm so tired of low wattage, mediocre, petulant, entitled, privileged men who are not as clever as they think and who turn to dim wattage, hateful men for likes and for cheers. I'm so tired of the Ron DeSantis's and the Nick Fuentes's and the Donald Trump's and the Kanye West's and the, the Elon Musk's who have no solutions, who don't care about anything but their own selves. They're like 20 pounds of skin wrapped over 60 pounds of ego. And it's all our news is covering. Are you as sick of it as I am? I'm glad that Kanye's there to make sure it's not all just shitty white men ruining the country for the rest of us. So let's talk about it tonight. Comedian John Poveromo is going to be with us. The great Bob Henley is going to be with us to talk about labor. Bob's not happy with Joe Biden. You don't want to miss this one. And of course, uh, you guys, all night long, Britney Spears is 41 years old. Folks, we got to celebrate something, don't we? 866-997-GRIT. That's our number. Let's get to it. The big Oh, Chris Hauselt, he's our executive producer, running this thing live from the uh, South Carolina studios. Theo Harper's running this thing. What's that? What? What did I do? What happened? No, I'm, what? Just, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm giving you props. You know, like Carrot Top did that time. 
I don't know anything about Hunter Biden's laptop, John. You can oh, check we're going to talk all. We're going to talk all about Hunter Biden's laptop uh, because tonight we begin with a very special report called "The Journalistic Free Speech Bombshell About the President's Son's Dick," because that's what this is all about, folks. It's about dick pics of, more accurately, the former vice president's son while he was the former vice president and while his son was going through addiction problems. And there are photos and it's all about the vice president's son's dick. Now, here's some context. Before Elon Musk bought Twitter, slurs against African-Americans were coming up on the average. How often do you think a day on Twitter before Elon bought it? On the average, uh, 1,282 anti-black slurs a day. Someone types it, they hit send on Twitter. 1,282 times a day. Somebody said something racist against African-Americans. After Elon Musk bought Twitter, that number went up from 1,282 times a day to 3,876 times a day. Before Elon bought Twitter, slurs against gay men, 2,506 times a day. After Elon purchased it, up to 3,964 times per day. It gets better. You you ready? Anti-Semitic posts about Judaism or Jewish people went up more than 61% in the first two weeks after Elon bought the site. These findings were reported today. They come from the Center for Countering Digital Hate, the Anti-Defamation League, and some other groups. Um, Advertisers are about 90% of Twitter's revenue. And as you guys know, they have reduced their spending on the platform because they're waiting to see how this is all going to play out. You might have read these stats this morning in a big story in the New York Times called Hate Speech's Rise on Twitter is Unprecedented, Researchers Find. Subheader, problematic content and formerly barred accounts have increased sharply in the short time since Elon Musk took over. So it's pretty bad, right? I mean, Elon keeps on changing his strategy for how Twitter's going to be, keeps on changing the rules. He, he banned both Kanye West and Kathy Griffin after they made fun of him. Uh, last night, finally, it took a week of anti-Semitism out of cotton longer. <laughs> I mean, Kanye was anti-Semitic and everyone got rid of him except Elon Musk. Elon Musk kept him there after Adidas cut him loose. Elon Musk didn't drop him. After yesterday's Alex Jones show, where he praised Hitler, Elon waited until last night when Kanye posted an unflattering photo of Elon. And that's only then did Elon cut his account. So imagine my shock when we saw Elon Musk post about five hours ago. What really happened with the Hunter Biden story suppression by Twitter will be published by Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern time. About an hour later, he posted, this will be awesome. And it was Chris who told me about this earlier in our meeting. I didn't even know. I wasn't following Twitter that closely today. But Twitter told me he was he was promising a big story at five o'clock. And then five o'clock came and he tweeted, we're double checking some facts. So probably start live tweeting in about 40 minutes. And then finally, what was it, Chris, like an hour late? He introduced a thread by Matt Taibbi, who's never done this show. But Matt has been on our our TV show on the other channel. Um, Matt's never done this show. And it's a Matt Tybee's had his uh, his ups and downs and you can Google that if you want. And he um, he apparently is working for Elon. He does a Substack, and he began it with a thing called thread Twitter files. 
And Matt said of his own reporting, the Twitter files tell an incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It is a Frankensteinian tale of a human-built mechanism grown out of the control of its designer. I like the word Frankensteinian, so I I dug that. And what followed was um, Matt Taibbi and Elon pretty much tag-teaming a story about Hunter Biden's laptop for about seven or 8,000 tweets in one thread. I mean, this thing went on, folks. Did you try to read it? I, I, I was, I, after like 35 tweets, Matt stopped numbering them and it just went on and on. Not sure he knows how to do a, a thread of that length. Chris, I know you read it. You told me about it. So I, after I was embarrassed, I didn't know. So I, I wanted to keep up on this and be really informed. Uh, so it, it really is, um, I have to say, maybe the most pointless Twitter thread about absolutely zilch. I encourage you to read it. More or less, he talks about how um, uh, politicians were complaining about certain tweets because they showed personal information about Hunter Biden. Uh, tech workers generally give more money at, at donor time to Democrats than Republicans. Twitter did put a warning on a tweet from Kayleigh McEnany, Donald Trump's former uh, press secretary and Fox News personality, but I repeat myself. They put a warning on one of her tweets about Hunter Biden's laptop, but the government never asked them to do it. They just put it up there themselves. And then they said, hey, maybe we should lift this. Maybe it's not right to put a warning on Kayleigh McEnany's tweet. And that's it. I mean, Chris, will you jump in if I miss anything? Because I've been going through this. But th- that that that's all I could. I mean, I, I gave up weeks of my life reading this thread. And why? Why is Elon mustering all of his energy to get all you guys to read Matt's theory, tweeting about Hunter's laptop? What do you think, I, Chris? Well, there's it's weird things because it, it's the way that it's written. I think you even just did it now. You have to remember that the Biden campaign was not the government at that time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. the Trump administration was the government. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's messiness inside Twitter. Everyone knows that most companies have messiness inside. Uh, I don't think that he he paints this idea that you know he even says that. Uh, the, there was a lot of pressure and favors kind of done within Twitter on content yeah. moderation on mm-hmm. behalf of Republicans, on behalf mm-hmm. of Democrats, and on behalf of celebrities. Yeah, it's and very messy. it was almost kind of like a routine backdoor kind of thing where it's like the exactly. people would be like, hey, can you take care of this uh, this tweet going around about this thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. you should look into that. We should exactly. do something about that. Blows the roof off the whole thing. But, what he's, but the idea that he's trying to allege that there is some sort of lopsidedness to it and that it was done to benefit Joe Biden's campaign and Democrats more Mm -hmm. than the Trump administration. I think that that's where it falters for me. It's a bit of a reach. Well, but, but essentially what he's saying is, you know what, these executives at Twitter over the years, they've made all of these, all of these uh, decisions about, you know, content really, you know, in, in very, very uh, uneven, unfair ways and very randomly, and that Twitter executives have tried to solve political problems for people, have tried to get out of political problems, have tried to avoid awkwardness by banning people, by suppressing tweets over the years. It's been random, right? That's that's essentially what he's saying, I think. Not really a system in place. So so here's the thing. Why is Matt Taibbi tweeting about this? To distract us from the Nazis. It's all about the misdirection. They, 
I mean, they're not talking about war in Ukraine. They're not. Elon's not talking about education or healthcare or climate change. He's talking about Hunter Biden's laptop. He's talking about Obama's tan suit. He's talking about Benghazi. He's talking about the birth certificate. It's all the right wing misdirect. The researchers said in the article that they'd never seen such a sharp increase in hate speech or problematic content or formerly banned accounts in such a short period on any mainstream social media platform. The Center for Digital Hate said Elon Musk sent up the bat signal to every kind of racist, misogynist and homophobe that Twitter was open for business. They reacted accordingly. And that's why we saw this thread tonight that Elon Musk wanted you to read about Hunter Biden's laptop. Pay no attention to the racists in front of the curtain. Uh, Number eight in Matt's thread. By 2020, requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another, more to review from the Biden team. The reply would come back, handled. Ooh, sounds pretty damning. What he's talking about is the Biden campaign was asking this private internet platform if they would please consider taking down revenge porn that was targeted against the former vice president's famously addicted son. Dick pics. That's it. That's it. His son was partying. They took pictures. They were up. It was embarrassing. They wrote and said, hey, could you take this down? When you think about it, Hunter Biden never gave his consent to have his dick pics on the Internet, and neither did the women he was partying with. I mean, what would you do? If people were out there tweeting out your adult child's dick pic because they didn't like you, would you try to get your kid help? (laughs) See, yesterday, Elon Musk banned Kanye West again. And again, he was restricted for a while in October because he was tweeting anti-Semitic shit. But now he's been suspended indefinitely after he tweeted this image. Did you see it? Of a swastika inside a Star of David. I didn't know you could do that. A swastik inside. That that's makes me excited to show you my new symbol, which is a Smurf inside Gargamel. Elon said Twitter would publish hate speech impressions every week. And he agreed that the hate speech spiked last week because of Kanye's anti-Semitic posts. He let her back on. Hate speech went up. <laughs> so it's Kanye's fault, not his for letting him back on. But it's very important. Elon Musk intervened last night and took Kanye off the platform. So again, um, the big scoop tonight was that Matt Taibbi and Elon Musk have joined forces to go deep on Hunter Biden and how much his laptop pictures may have been suppressed from the eyes of people never meant to see them. And the Biden campaign asked the Twitter moderation team to remove some dick pics, which is basically revenge pornography, right? Right? I mean, it's basically if someone steals someone else's computer and has pictures of them naked and puts it on the internet, you don't use it as an excuse to beat up the father of the naked guy. The first, there was one image of Hunter Biden and there were nude women women without anybody's consent. Should these images have stayed up on Twitter? Would that have been pro-free speech? Is that the free speech choice? If we start putting up pictures, if young men begin posting sexually explicit pictures of their ex-wives and ex-girlfriends, without the women's consent... I mean, it's free speech, right? Not a problem. Of course, real adults don't work that way. So yeah, there were some tweets that were suppressed. 
Now, we all know the truth about Hunter Biden. Let's get honest here. Let's get real. We all know Hunter Biden made $640 million while he was working for his father in the White House. We all know Hunter Biden scammed $2 billion from the Saudis after helping a Saudi prince cover up murder. Oh, no, wait. That was actually Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. No. The truth is that Hunter Biden has struggled with addiction. He's a private citizen. He's never run for office. He lost his mother, his sister, his brother, and he's struggled with very public habits for much of his adult life. And he's being investigated. And no Democrat, no Democrat has said, don't investigate Hunter Biden. Joe Biden has not stopped anyone from investigating Hunter Biden. Some people said, hey, please don't put the vice president's son's dick pic on your internet platform. That's what you missed, guys. That's it. Tell me if I'm wrong, please, because I'm willing to say I am. But I went through these things. And here's the funny thing. You want to know one more fact? And this wasn't in Matt's reporting. And I got nothing against Matt Taibbi. He's always been nice to me. But according to an independent investigation, Hunter Biden's laptop had files added to it after it left his possession. The Washington Post wrote about this. They had experts and the man who owned the computer repair store both came to the same conclusion that files were added to Hunter Biden's laptop after it left his possession. So as evidence, it may be worthless. The experts found the data had been repeatedly accessed and copied by people other than Hunter Biden for nearly three years. The Washington Post story also reported that someone tried to add files on the laptop one week after the first New York Post story was published. The laptop's corrupted, but it's all they got. It's Benghazi. It's Obama's tan suit. It's the death panels. It's Hillary's emails. So in summation, (laughs) Elon Musk, he's inviting Nazis back on Twitter. He's welcoming white supremacists back on Twitter. He's welcoming homophobes back on Twitter. And Trump is welcoming these same people to Mar-a-Lago. That's the real story. That's what they don't want you talking about. But the funny part is, because again, irony is the one religion that will never let you down. The very day after Elon Musk was saying that that swastika inside a Jewish star, that's an incitement to violence. And we have to make we have to we have to suspend Kanye West. Well, then he drops this bombshell. Wait, Twitter executives sometimes have to make decisions on the fly about sensitive political things on the platform. Holy shit. We had no idea. Turns out Twitter, which is a private company under Donald Trump, didn't want their free internet platform to be used to promote a bullshit conspiracy theory. And now once again, (laughs) Elon Musk is trying to make you angry about the same shit he does. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Fail Better. David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure. 
how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. On behalf of all mentally ill people, I would just like to say that uh, it is extremely easy to have mental illness and not praise Nazis. Let's get that out of the air right now. You can have mental illness and go your whole life with it functioning, good days and bad days, uh, days where it's not a problem and days where you got to overcome it and... And, and, and yet you never praise Hitler. It's really easy to do. Keep that in mind as we talk with John Poveromo, one of our favorite guests, a comic born in Brooklyn, raised in Jersey, and yet quite harmless. You've seen him on everything from VH1 to Fox News' Red Eye to HLN. Uh, and of course, uh, one of our favorite comics right here. He's got a great show called Dystopia Tonight, where they get amazing guests in politics and pop culture. John Poveromo. Welcome back. You've got a Santa hat on, I see, in the Zoom. Happy holidays to you. I do. I feel, I feel uh, welcome now. You got your Christmas tree in the background, man. It looks beautiful. Thank you very much. Yeah, more yeah. people are people are seeing my tree because I I do Zoom meetings. Uh, yeah, I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving, sir. I did. I had a very nice Thanksgiving. Thank you very much, man. It's it's it comes right around. My my birthday is over either always on Thanksgiving or a couple of days afterwards. So it's an overload of food. It's more food than normal Thanksgiving because uh, I insist on a giant cake. <laughs> well, happy and birthday! I'm, I, I hope yeah, you had hey, a thanks. good one. I did. I it was pretty good, man. I'm I'm getting older, so it's not that it's great. Uh, I'm getting older, but I'm not getting crazier. We've both been sad before, you know what I mean? And I and I know you and I have talked about depression and stuff before and how we've dealt with it. Neither one of us, though, has, like, uh, become gone to the dark side, like, gone to the stormtroopers. Like, we've never, well, like, I, you yeah, know. But um, I, only, I only use depression for the material. I only do it for the material, John. That's that's my whole thing. So, you know. I use it to avoid my family. I'm like, I'm really sad today. I can't come out. And they're like, we haven't seen you in 38 years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, well, can, like, well yeah, I'll do it. But you know but what? That's, that's a good excuse. That... You know you know how many one-person shows I've gotten out of seeing? You know how many people, <laughs> how many people's improv troops I haven't had to go watch because of yeah. I, I just say, oh, but sorry, but my depression flaring up today and I, oh. I use it as an excuse all the time it's a beautiful and excuse they usually feel too awkward to invite me back so it, it works really well uh yeah no, I, i'm i you know I, one of the good things about watching this uh nazi jamboree mm-hmm. that seemingly has been going on since before thanksgiving but turned up to 11 for some reason over the next week and we've yeah. always known the anti-semitism is out there and it mm-hmm. just it, it seems to flare up as more and more men find it acceptable to talk that way in public yeah, but I've loved yeah. the pushback. I've loved the pushback from Gentiles. I've loved the pushback from African Americans who have been mm-hmm. so disgusted at Kanye West for pushing anti-Semitism, and I've yeah. loved the pushback from people reminding everyone that Jew hatred is not a symptom of depression, right, or yeah, bipolar exactly. disorder. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing that I find that his defenders are always quick to go like, "Guys, come on, man. He's just he's just mentally ill." And I'm like, I know a lot of mentally ill people, but none of them want to want to, you know, read Mein Kampf as a hero's, you know, anti the anti hero (laughs) book. You know, they're not uh, he's not Magneto, for God's sake. Um, Exactly. The other. Yeah. The other thing that I find funny, though, too, is like 
I don't, there's not enough talk about the people that are surrounding Kanye. Like, I understand that they're people, quote unquote, just doing their jobs or whatever. But for God's sake, like, is there no one, no one, not one person around him who's like, hey, man, uh, you're being a fucking dick. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no. I get it that all their jobs are on the line. But like, how is no one talking about that? Like, it's I get it. It's all him. And he's wearing the mask and he's going out there doing whatever. But someone's pushing him out there, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, but so, again, this you you fall into this trap where you're surrounded by people that are probably being paid by you all yeah. the time. And right. you're surrounded by people whose number one concern is keeping their job. And if you're a petulant child man, you know, a lot of it is yeah. assuaging your ego half the time. But it, it just sort of <laughs> seems like were we always governed by such mercurial child men? Or is this just a rel rather recent development between the Matt Gateses and the, the Madison Cawthorns? I mean, when I was a kid, I, I looked on right wing men as being, um, you know, awful, selfish, yeah. uh, cruel, but adult, you know, yeah. like they've been hardened by life. And that's what mm -hmm. made them mean. Not that they didn't get the fucking pony they were promised. And that's what I keep <laughs> seeing from these. I mean, Kanye and yeah. Nick Fuentes and Madison Cawthorn. I'm so sick of these guys. Right. Well, the thing is, is, though, too, is I've been watching and reading a lot of documentaries about like uh, just the current effect of social media and stuff and the, the effect it actually has on the older generation, like our parents and stuff like that, who were never really exposed to it, probably never really wanted to go on it that much. But right. because they are exposed to it now and they see how other people act um uh, and they feel like it's like a um not like it's a privacy thing but like they don't they're not they don't have that face-to-face -face interaction and then it's now bled over into real real interaction because they're acting like that online constantly there's no repercussion for it they can yep. say whatever they want they can deliver any kind of information they want without any real pushback and then now because that that's become commonplace they find that they can do that in life and in their circles. And I think celebrity, unfortunately, and their egos fall victim to it even harder. Sure. Because, sure. you know, like you said, they're paying those people to be around them. But not only that, now you just get to fucking spew it whenever you want. And it doesn't matter because you got your own little your own little uh, followers. He's got 30. He's got more followers than there are Jews. Like, did you know? I know. That? <laughs> like, I know. I know. But, when, when, like, but, but when Alex Jones is the guy saying, hey, your words are going too far, you know, that's yep. that's that's nature having an intervention for you. And then and then there's <laughs> Nick Fuentes. John, honestly, eight days ago, millions of nice people had no idea what a Nick Fuentes was. You know, yeah. this political nerds yep. who follow this stuff and know this guy got banned from YouTube and know that he wants to take the vote away from women and he praises Hitler and that he's a white supremacist right. and he always cloaks it in this sort of oh shucks i'm just being outrageously ironic for a laugh we're all kidding around here <laughs> little fucking incel nazi well right. now everyone knows everyone knows this hideous simian changeling child because a former president of the united states welcomed him into his home and sat at his table donald trump sat down with this unholy bag of infected dicks and then tried to make <laughs> americans think he had no idea who the guy was i welcomed kanye and kanye brought this guy here John, how easy is it to just not be vetted and sit with a president, just to walk into a president's golf club and get to sit at his table with him if the president doesn't know who you are? Yeah. And you know what's crazy is if it's a president that's never been vetted before, I'm thinking it's pretty fucking easy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I feel like anything goes with this guy, especially since he just fucking... Um, uh, talked about the January 6 people like sent them a nice little uh, cameo apparently he's Trump's doing cameo videos now he where he like absolved them from all their fucking shit and said that they're going to figure it out and get to the bottom of it 
Yep. N- this is no holds barred batshit crazy stuff right now. Like it, before, really we knew he was going to be. It really is, and we knew he was like w- w- you called it before uh, he even lost to Biden. That if he winds up losing and he goes to run again, it's going to be no holds barred, ten times oh, yeah. worse than before, completely unfiltered and unhinged. He's not going to stop. Yeah, it'll be worse. And this time he's not going to have the outsider status. He's going to be the 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 former president. He's going to be the big guy on the stage, not the clown. No one takes seriously who's heckling from the sidelines. But I mean, like when you look at the fact that, you know, first off, when I hear Donald Trump's advisors, all these stories about how Donald Trump's advisors begged him to not have Nick Fuentes in the if you're if your job is Donald Trump advisor, haven't you failed at life? In terms of vocation, like if you're like, like Keith Richards sobriety coach, if you're Donald Trump's advisor, you're already done, you know? And so, so he's not trying to build a bigger tent. Like when you're promising pardons to these terrorists, he's, this is what gets me scared. He's not trying to build a bigger coalition. It seems like he's trying to build an army. It seems like he's trying to have his own brown shirts. Absolutely. And he's succeeding because there's nobody that's able to tell these people are convinced. That's the thing. Like, so, you know, again, this comes into play with social media and Facebook and stuff like that. But because of everybody's use of that kind of stuff and Mark Zuckerberg not reeling in any kind of factual, mm-hmm. like not trying to limit that kind of stuff, you, you, you do have these pockets of like there's no trust anymore and there's no um, real place for community and people to go to kind of bounce shit off each other and fact check it. The media has been slammed, you know, just lambasted since for four years when he was in office saying it's all fake news and stuff. So they put their trust in him. He's the only of one He's who gets to tell them anything. Yeah. And have you ever seen it when? Yeah, exactly. And have you ever seen it when they are presented with facts? They just fall back on like, well, that's not he he's work. They think his genius goes so far that he's like, oh, that's what Trump wants us to believe that he's the Mm. bad guy. But Mm. really what he's doing behind the scenes, we don't even know behind the scenes. He's he's doing some real crazy shit. It's like, oh, my God, there's not there's no getting through that. Yeah. So so let me ask you, what do you see happening with with Twitter? I mean, like, I, I don't know how much longer this can go on. I'm, I, I have no intention of quitting. I'm enjoying sitting in the front row and watching, but yeah. it's getting weird around there. I found out today because I saw a lot of people saying that they had somehow unfollowed the Holocaust Museum. And I checked yeah. and I've always followed the Holocaust Museum. And me too. I had I had unfollowed them. And it's yeah, like, OK, I've lost 20,000 followers. And I thought it was just because people were leaving the site. But since Elon Musk has taken over, certain accounts have found their follower count dropped and there's no explanation for it yet. So there's seemingly some fuckery going on and it's happening towards non-fascist accounts. Right. Yeah, I'm the same way, man. I didn't believe at first I saw people tweeting about them uh, like being having unfollowed the Holocaust Museum. And I was like, no, there's no way. And I'm a pretty inconsequential account on Twitter. Like I don't use I'm I'm an Instagram guy and I got to use Twitter like that frequently. I also I always followed the Holocaust Museum, always had that. And mine was unfollowed. I don't know. That's some creepy shit, dude. When like all that Mm -hmm. stuff can just happen overnight. This particular Um, week, it's extremely creepy. This week, it's really creepy. Yeah. But but I don't know what's going to happen to I mean, I I don't I'm I'm torn. Right. Because I do believe like like comedians staying on Twitter, I feel like is great because we do just kind of like to watch and sit from the sidelines and find out what's going on. It's what our bread bread and butter is. But like these celebrities, the like high status, millions of followers, things 
I, I really do hope they leave because that's what Twitter makes. It's like they promote their shit on Twitter. People come to Twitter to follow like, you know, uh, God, I'm like a Nicki Minaj. You know what I mean? Like those, those yeah. people, the really hot, you know, I hope they bail and I hope they bring them. See, I disagree. The platform doesn't I dis- matter. I, dis- I disagree. I hope they stick it out. Like I didn't quit America when a embarrassing millionaire at birth fascist temporarily took over. So right. I'm not going to quit Twitter for the same well, reason. I, I kind of feel what like do you think. Yeah, sorry. Well, where, where do you where would you go then? So like, but I think that we we like, same thing with comedy clubs. Like for I know this is like inside baseball for comedians stuff like that. But if a comedy club is genuinely a trash place in our community, we usually go, hey, this guy doesn't. This guy's treating people badly. He doesn't pay, and we kind of get to go. Okay, look, a bunch of us are not going to go there. Are, are not going to perform there anymore. And then they don't have the revenue. You know what I mean? And then the place yeah, either winds up changing that. or whatever. Sure. So if the I respect if the, the argument. People, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if the people are doing that, can't we can't we then go and bring our message somewhere else? Like, I, right. I don't know where, but... Well, but my only concern is because I don't know where either. There is nowhere else to go. Mastodon's not going to do it yet. Tribal, no. not going to do it. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't know about social, Tribal. Facebook, I'm enjoying right. learning all these new things and having to cut and paste my, my content uh, here and there. <laughs> but Twitter is still the main electronic public thoroughfare yeah. of our planet. And that's why it's really scary to see the forces that don't want democracy to be doing so much work in more right helping out elon musk as much as they can yeah i know it is it's it's a real clusterfuck because i don't i don't i don't like that guy behind the scene i mean nobody likes him behind the scenes but the fact that just the unfollowing of the holocaust thing how so many people i know and so many accounts i know like i i don't know man like i I don't i don't like the idea that something could be happening where it's progressive and like you know like any we've seen it before where a number of threads um have aided in revolutions or aided in people who actually need sure. money or aid or whatever i don't like the idea that some guy on a whim can remove it and then all of a yeah. sudden that whole thing collapses that's why i'm like maybe tribal i don't know i don't know where where to go but it's got to be someplace fast i don't either Guys, Jump over. yes the man yeah. the man builds suicidal cars what do we expect from the person? <laughs> he's a oh, super, he, he's like a Futurama character. Right? Remember the suicide booth from Futurama that we'd put I in a just, nickel? and Yeah, I remember I remember that a guy who couldn't run a casino in Atlantic City thinking he should be president, and now a guy who can't run a website thinks he should run rockets to Mars. That's what I know. Yeah. Pope Romo, it's a pleasure to see you. How can our listeners follow you and keep up with your work? Oh, uh, please go to my Instagram. <laughs> um, it's at John Poveromo and uh, dystopiatonight.com. Right on. It's good to see you, John. Thank you for joining good us. Good to see you, really too. Do Thanks, it. man. Appreciate Quick it. Quick break. We'll be right back, and we will get to your damn calls, and I'll be thanking you for waiting. 866-997-4748. We'll be right back. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. 
the way car buying should be. Let me quote our next guest. Two and a half months ago, President Biden patted himself on the back for closing a rail labor pact that was a landmark win for tens of thousands of rail workers who worked tirelessly through the pandemic that had avoided a strike just before Christmas. This week, almost three weeks after the midterms, he had to turn to Congress to impose that same pact on 115,000 workers to avert a potentially crippling national rail shutdown just before Christmas. What happened? How did it come to pass? President Biden, who describes himself as the most pro-union president in U.S. history, chose to resort to such a heavy-handed tactic to head off a strike he just told us he had prevented. Let's wade in, shall we, with one of the best journalists in the game. Bob Henley is an award-winning investigative reporter. During his 40-year career, has covered public policy from economy to corruption to homeland security to immigration to environmental policy. Senior reporter at WNYC for 12 years. You've read his stuff in the New York Times, Christian Science Monitor, the chief leader of the Detroit Free Press, and of course, Salon. His essential new piece is all about Joe Biden and what has happened this week with the railway unions. Welcome back, Bob Henley. Thanks for having me. And of course, I have to add to that that I worked uh, while I was in college for the Erie Lackawanna Railroad. My father was a clerk for the dispatcher, and my nephew was an engineer for New Jersey Transit. So I have to declare my bias. I also am from a railroad family. Well, I, I thank you very much. I'm from a union family. My father worked for the Teachers Federal Credit Union, and I'm in a union myself. That's right. So I, I, it's something very close to my heart, and it's close to I my heart as well. I found that out through the joys of Twitter. That was one of those wonderful things. Someone was oh, following right. you, and yeah, it was great. Well, but but also, you know, I mean, I'm someone who who just can read charts, and I can understand that unions have always been the strongest voice working people have had in this country. You can track the rise and decline of the American middle class buying power with the rise and decline of union membership. And I can remember a Democratic Party that took both the White House and the Senate and the House in 2020, promising to pass a law strengthening collective bargaining. And what I see this week is... And I understand Joe Biden's in a very tough position, but they seem to have just kind of crushed collective bargaining in one of the few industries that still had some power left. Right. What's important to understand is that we, in terms of the railroads, we are right back to where we were during the last great mass death event, 1918-1990. It's important for folks to understand that in the last, 30 to 40 years, we have seen, certainly since the 1980s, what was 46, 47, 48 Class 1 railroads come down to seven. And these behemoths have been compromised by Wall Street, and they have uh, actually cut crews by 30%, and they have something called a precision uh, railroading, which is the equivalent uh, abusive thing, except across the continent that you do in Amazon with warehouse workers. Yeah. And this is a situation where these people are working these jobs that have tremendous stress, uh, driving longer and longer trains with fewer and fewer sentient beings to prevent um, and uh, damage to the community and to themselves. And all through the pandemic, they were pushed harder and harder and the fact that this administration would 
Uh, even though 55% of, of the of 115,000 workers rejected the deal, impose it is unconscionable. This is Biden's Patco moment. Yeah, but why? Here's my question. Joe Biden, you know, boasted about this in September. It gave the whole We Saved Christmas statement. The majority of voters want them to have the paid sick leave. The majority of Americans do. The majority of union members do. And as we saw from the vote, the majority of the Senate does too. And yet it's still not enough. Right. And so what we have here is the fact that if you look at the Intercept had a good article about this, looking at the campaign contributions from our uh, 21st century robber barons. And so the other thing, too, is what's really unconscionable is that we're still in a pandemic. And for all the hand wringing, the fact that we still do not, uh, are not acting on what we've learned from the pandemic, which is that in certain key industries, it's important to keep people well, because in healthcare, in transport and food processing, when that population gets sick, you're done. And at that point, your meatpacking plants and your hospitals become vectors for the killer disease. This isn't science fiction. This is the last three years. Bob, the deal, as I understand it, is that that there were 12 unions, I believe, that were going off on this. And eight of the unions signed off on the deal. But four of the unions, including some of the biggest ones, rejected it. And, And again, I certainly do appreciate the notion that you don't want to have any kind of economic slowdown at Christmas. You don't want to do anything that's going to hurt capitalism. You don't want to hurt people at the holidays and you don't want to help the Republican party. I get all of the logical arguments there, but this seems like the sort of thing that could hurt Joe Biden so much more in the long run by giving the finger as it were to a really important base. And as Robert Reich has pointed out, this is an industry that had over $30 billion in profits from January to September of this year and then chose to recently cut 30% of their workforce anyway. This would have taken 1.5%. Giving seven days of paid sick leave a year to every one of these employees would have taken 1.5% off of the billions in profit they've made. And it still was too much. Well, And I think it's also important to understand what this lifestyle is. And so basically you are on call. And so it's a seven day a week commitment. And so what ends up happening is you get pulled out on a run and then you're gone. You may be gone for a day and a half. You may be gone for two days. If you're yeah. uh, doing one of these uh, runs across states where you're running. I mean, when I started calling crews when they still had the Ford Motor Plant in Mawa, New Jersey. Now there's a Sheraton there. That tells you a lot about America. Hmm. When you had a train that had 100 um, cars on it with new um, pickup trucks, you would have three to four sentient beings on that train looking out for it as it hurtled through space. Now we have three-mile-long trains with two people, We had a, and they're not hauling hams exclusively. They're hauling volatile organic chemicals. We had an incident in Quebec where a driverless train – incinerated a village this is what is happening and yet what people are getting pressed more and more and you have wall street extracting money and here's the crazy thing as you know all of this railroad infrastructure was a result of land grants based Mm -hmm. on land we stole from the native americans and so there are a lot there's a big call now for the united states 
to nationalize the rails. I mean, enough is enough. And one of the problems with the way the corporate media reports about this story is they talk about the infrastructure being the holdup, but it's actually systems of greed where people can extract tens of billions of dollars and abuse the workforce and not reinvest in the infrastructure and then come to us to bail them out. This is a pattern. You're right. It's what Ralph Nader said. Capitalism will never fail because it'll always have socialism to bail it out. Right. (laughs) You know what drives me crazy, though, Bob? There's two things I know for sure. One is, and you pointed out in your piece, that really the only power unions have left is to reject a contract and withhold labor and threaten a strike. I mean, in many ways, would a strike by the railway workers before Christmas really be the worst thing that could have happened? It would have stimulated a national dialogue on labor. It would have made us all talk about, you know, well, paid sick leave, of course. It certainly is happening at the best possible time for the Democrats because it would be forgotten two years from now. And also, didn't COVID just show us it's really bad for an economy if sick people feel like they can't afford to stay home when they're sick? Well, that, that's exactly the point. And so one of the things that I'm, I'm looking at is that we still have not done anything counting. We've talked about this before. We've gone through this mass traumatic event. 1.1 million people have died. Several million are disabled. And as we speak, we have no idea of how many essential workers pass as a consequence. Unions try to do what they can to track it. But the reality is we need to know this so that we can actually take steps to harden our infrastructure and be aware of how we can anticipate this again. What's happened here, and the other thing I I think we have to uh, keep in mind here is that to a large degree what Joe Biden did was um, there was a long list of things that for three years the unions have been at the table getting nowhere with these these characters. And because of the fact that they were trying to insulate them from the huge increase in the uh, for-profit health care premiums, which is another thing that is just, uh, it's a crisis no one's talking about, but it's busting budgets all over, and it's going to mean a real pay cut for central workers in every state at every level. And it's not being talked about politically. And Obamacare was like a, a Band-Aid on a wound that it's like, you know, needs a tourniquet. And so what's happening now is, because they tried to account for the cost of health insurance in the rail contract, there was no money left in the kitty that the robber barons were willing to spare mm-hmm. when it came to sick time. So this is another example of how this for-profit predatory medical um, health care system, the most expensive in the world, with the highest death rate for COVID, with 4% of the population mm-hmm. and, and 14% of the bodies, is also actually destroying the middle class every day. And as a, if, if Americans, if we continue to link health care to employment, Americans will never see a raise again. And that you could take That's to true. the bank. We're talking to the great Bob Henley at SiriusXM. We're at 866-997-4748. But Bob, Joe Biden said, and look, I, I respect that he's in a weird position, but he said this week, you've heard the quote, as a proud pro-labor president, I am reluctant to override the ratification procedures and the views of those who voted against the agreement. But in this case, where the economic impact of a shutdown would hurt millions of other working people and families, I believe Congress must use its power to adopt this deal. Now, you know, I can be cynical and say, okay, so unions are great as long as they don't want stuff. Is that the deal? 
But a lot of people made a made a big fuss this week about how it was 30 years ago in 1992 when a much younger right. Senator Joe Biden was one of the few pro-labor Democrats to oppose when President George H.W. Bush did the same thing. What do we need to know about the National Railway Labor Act of 1926, Mr. Henley? Uh, well, it was, of course, the idea here was this was when they were terrified of the likes of Eugene Debs and labor was really starting to get leverage. And so they came up with this very Byzantine process that tipped the scales and was going to make it very hard for labor to act in a concerted way. But it's very important here to go back to the TikTok here of where um, I believe that Biden was let down in the statement on September 15th. They used the word tentative, and the one word that was nowhere in the press release was ratification. I'm glad that Railroad Joe still knows what it's called. But had he had that paragraph in there, pending, of course, the approval of the workers, and if he had spent one day, one hour in a labor hall trying to sell it, maybe I'd have some sympathy. But the reality is here, what they did with the pandemic— I, I'm, I bet you that he could have actually signed an executive order. They mm-hmm. had no problem during the uh, saying, guess what? We're going to have in transport sick days, paid sick days for anybody in transportation because we don't want to sp- spread a viral disease. Right. I mean, they can have everybody we, get vaccinated. Everybody wear a mask. But, oh, oh no, oh, no, we don't want to affect the bottom line of the robber barons. Oh, I get nervous. Exactly. You know, and and Bob, this is the part where I've got to say for all the disappointment we have here in Joe Biden um, and all the ways we wish he'd fought harder on this. It's hard for me to just limit my disdain to his choice because we're looking at an entire Republican Party that doesn't give a damn about these workers. Except for some very tactical. Remember that a handful handful of them, a a handful of them who don't care about labor at all. I know. I know. But the problem is tactically Democrats gave them an opening that they didn't have to earn. And that was a tactical error. And so the other part of this is that this is, if it was just this alone, I could be like the AFL title and just say, oh, well, next time. But the reality is this is on top of not increasing the federal minimum wage when they, the Democrats controlled Congress from 725 where it sat since the Obama years, not delivering on, universal child care, even as it disappears and working women are still stranded at home, struggling with double close double digit inflation. And really, if I, I mean, there's such a scarcity of child care out there. Even if you want to work, it's hard to do. So it's just not one thing. And I think what we have to start thinking about is we got a kind of very positive thing that happened in the midterms. I don't think it was because of Joe Biden. I think it was despite him. And I think that the time for militants is upon us and that we need to come out with an affirmative agenda in 2024 that upends and flips this pyramid. I mean, we have a situation right now that these robber barons are exploiting where you are punished if you work. The taxation system punishes working people and it strokes idle capital. And so that has to be flipped. And I don't know that Joe Biden is real. I mean, I have to say. This latest move with the rail workers gives me real doubt about him running again. I got to be honest. I know. It mystifies me. You quote Bernie Sanders, who said on the Senate floor, what the freight industry is saying to its workers is, 
this. It doesn't matter if you have COVID. doesn't matter if you're lying in a hospital bed because of a medical emergency. doesn't matter if your wife has just given birth. It just doesn't matter. If you do not come into work, no matter what the reason, we have the right to punish you. We have the right to fire you. I mean, he's right. And the majority of voters agree with him. I, what would Biden have lost? I'm trying to understand what the political ramifications would have been if the economy had had a, a hiccup and this had carried on for a week or two. I, I'm sorry. I can't help but think that if Joe Biden had gone ahead and s- supported the striking workers, I guess the political well, the problem, problem is would have been too great. Yeah, he had that if press it, release hanging out there where he had done the Capra-ass superhero thing that he had saved the day. Exactly. And so exactly. that's the problem with having sycophants around you. Somebody should have said to him with that press release, you know, it's a little disrespectful to not include the fact that 100. I mean, here's the thing. It's off brand. What was the thing the Democrats were selling before the midterms? It's about democracy. And yet what? Democracy doesn't apply in the workplace. Oh, no. When it comes yeah. to democracy, we suspended the workplace because we're in a modern day pyramid system. You're right. So what happens next? What does this mean? I don't think that it's going to cost the Democratic Party union support in 2024, because where else are they going to go? We know the American media's attention span is that of a gnat. No, I mean, no one's probably going to be talking about this two years from now. Well, except in 2024. Now, right. Well, yeah, but it's going to be a lot of Democrats incumbents defending their seats in 2024. I mean, wh- how do you see this playing out? It's it's not popular. And it seems like, OK, you managed to kick the can down the road long enough and then, you know, betray well, everything right. you claim to stand well, for. Well, the, what's happening, though, is that the crisis in healthcare is blowing up in a real way. And so I am seeing a level of militance in the movement, whether it be in the case of New York City, the city of New York, and some of the labor bosses are trying to force retirees into a Medicare Advantage scam because they want to pull $600 million out this year. And so what you're seeing, and of course, we know from the New York Times that Medicare Advantage, despite all the advertising, is something that is, you know, most of these plans are really just figuring out a way to rip off uh, Medicare. And the way they make a profit is by blocking access to care. That's well established. And so I do think that you're going to see we're seeing union activity unprecedented. We're seeing, most importantly, 47 million Americans left their job last year. That's four times the size of the AFL-CIO. The reality is that the old conventional labor movement isn't as militant as workers are today. And there, that's why you see Chris Malls, that was an independent labor union. So uh, the old-line labor unions are having to really scramble to catch up mm-hmm. with where the American people are. And I, I will tell you, there's a militance out there, and this railroad thing has set it off. They have this coalition now of um, of, of railroad unions and that are coming together. I do think that we're at a turning point. I, I think you saw it in what happened in Michigan and Pennsylvania. Um, and I think that the, the giant is awake, and it is upon the land. Let me ask you one more question about this, Bob, because I'm, I'm trying to not be dismayed about it all. You know, we, we look at how this all broke down. You know, majority, yes, but victory, no, as you put right. it in peace. <laughs> and and it's true. And, you know, Joe Manchin voted no, um, but we the of Senate course. rejected the six leave fix 52 to 43. Now, where I come from, I went to public school, but 52 was more than 43. So right. <laughs> the majority of the Senate, 
the majority of the union membership, the majority of voters, and yet it still couldn't happen. Is it time to stop pretending we live in a democracy, Mr. Henley? It's time to buy Bob Henley's book, Dutch Nation. Can the United States change the course of its history of choosing profits over people? I mean, I hate to do that plug, but that's where we are. No, that please is do. the Dutch Nation thesis. Um, that is exactly the point. And what has to happen is you have to back it up with physical presence, not physical force, but physical presence. And so what, it means. What do you mean by that? What, 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 what do you mean by that? What I mean is that every encounter that you have with people in your daily comings and going, make it about moving this forward. Provide an opportunity for them. Every time I go to a Target, anywhere I go, I am constantly talking to young people about their situation and about the power of unions. Right. Every time I buy something, any transaction, I turn into a moment to start trouble. So I guess my question that I was going to ask you is, how can the Democrats make this right? And the answer is they can't. We the people have to. Well, exactly. And I do think, though, however, that um, it's time I do wish, because you do have this kind of seeming contradiction where you have the Surgeon General just coming up with this statement about how it's so important, this whole white paper about stress on the job. That's the biggest problem. Well, I will tell you that there's no greater stress than operating a three-mile-long train with vault organic chemicals sick. So I think that's the reason why they had to jam this through, because if, if it had slowed down any bit, we could have gotten the Laurie Garretts and the public health experts that are out there to talk about how this was absolutely contradictory to the basic public health dictums. You have to secure your transport section and food processing, that's and health care. That's it. There's I a mean, link is, between, right. We learn nothing from COVID. We le- This is the transport sector, and we're talking about not spreading a disease, and yet we... <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, my Over long God. distances. That's Would what I like say to- about about the American disease. It's not the Ebola, it's the amnesia. It's like, would you like some lovely Roman pasta on your lead plate, John? Oh, my God. Just crazy. Just crazy. So, again, it looks like our railroad robber barons have won again three centuries in a row. Yes, but I do think, however, that we are pulled together, and I think you're going to see this kind of organizing only increase, and the health care issue just looms larger and larger every day. And you're not going to see the biggest events on television. This stuff is happening in the community. Um, Bob, you have another piece I want to ask you about briefly before we say goodnight um, sure. in the Insider New Jersey about how next week on Tuesday will be the last public hearing held by New Jersey's Coronavirus Disease Pandemic Task Force on Racial and Health Disparities, which, my God, I don't know how you fit all that on a business card, but it's New Jersey's Coronavirus Disease Pandemic Task Force on Racial and Health Disparities, where people are going to offer their firsthand account of what their experience was like in a pandemic that, as you point out, killed over 35,110 New Jersey residents and 1.1 million Americans nationally. Why should all of America be paying attention to what's going on in Jersey? Well, because at one point we had the highest per capita death rate in the world, um, and we went back and forth with New York. Um, I think that we had a situation here where our for-profit healthcare model, like we have throughout the country, actually runs on scarcity. And as a consequence, we saw how the lack of PPE and short staffing 
actually turned the hospitals into a vector for the virus we were fighting and resulted in a catastrophic loss of life of healthcare professionals, many of them people of color. And I am proud of my state for at least providing some introspection. I mean, one of the things that people should be concerned about as the United States Congress is their their knees are knocking together. They are terrified of doing this. They've introduced some bills, but they've not, you know, wanted to have an after action. So at least this relatively obscure committee is providing an opportunity for people to give testimony. It's virtual. And it's very important because the only way that we are going to make a difference is by documenting with what actually occurred. And we owe that mm-hmm. to the dead and the living. I mean, you quote the Urban Institute analysis saying the greater one's income, the lower one's likelihood of disease and premature death. Um, you later talk about Lancet researchers who found groups with lower health insurance coverage had significantly higher mortality as well as greater case counts and hospitalizations. No shock there, but is the shock that we're getting closer and closer to uh, the state actually admitting that it's a plague that hurts poor people much more. I don't know how a government could come out and really admit that because then they might have to do something about it. Well, what what's happening, of course, is that I chronicle in the article, New Jersey's made a couple of like 12, 13 million dollar settlements, um, not admitting any wrongdoing. But in the case of the veteran homes, feeling that because of what happened, that they have to compensate the families. But the the reality about this thing is that we are seeing, and this this goes, this is, you know, it's New Testament, Matthew, that the connection in a very real way to our neighbor, no matter how humble, who they That's are, it. if they're homeless, yeah. that their biology is linked to our biology. And so if we are detached and don't care, then in essence, we are um, undermining our all our own long-term health. And it's that yeah. interconnectivity, that wealth, and gates and privilege cannot hide. And so you have to, I mean, we have to own that. That's why the only way out of this is universal health care as public health civil defense. That's the only way out of this. It's the only way that you can develop the surveillance and support. The reason why we talked about this as it was happening, the life expectancy in the United States declined three years in a row before the pandemic. The last time that happened was before the 1918 Spanish flu influenza. This country, people were walking around chronically ill. They still are. And because of that, the the population was vulnerable. And if the population is vulnerable, every one of us is, no matter how yep. wealthy we are. And what you're talking about is just good morality, good civics, and good capitalism. Mr. Bob Henley, how can our listeners follow you and keep up with all your work and your many doings? My God, you're prolific. How do we? What's the best way to keep uh, on top of all your writing? So, so at Stuck Nation, and then also uh, work bites for things coming out of City Hall, and then um, every Monday morning at 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. on BAI 99.5 FM. Those shows live on in a number of iterations. And, of course, uh, Salon and Insider NJ. Thanks so much for having me on, John. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for your passion on this. I really have been looking forward to talking with you about it. It's been a really, really, that's the most disappointing story of the entire week. And that's saying something in a week filled with public Nazis. We're going to turn it around.
Uh, we are already doing that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's going to be open phones all the way till midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific. We're at 866-997-4748. Let's talk about Nazis and Kanye and white supremacists and Nick Fuentes and Trump. But I repeat myself. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. Thank you guys so much for your patience on hold. Let's go to your calls. Jay in San Francisco. Welcome. Thank you. Hey, how's it going? Great. How are you? I'm doing great, actually. I, I wanted to talk to you about the um, the railroad strike and the Please do. agreement. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so I'm actually a, um, a railroad worker. I've worked for over 12 years. I can't really say who I work for just to you know protect myself. But um, Thank you for your service either way. Yeah, um, and also I'm a veteran too. So, <laughs> but basically, I wanted to just talk briefly about this. Um, with one of the Class One railroads, they—I'm not sure if you're aware—but they had uh, they implemented a availability policy called high viz, mm-hmm. and they moved to a points-based system where already rail workers are on call 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, all sort of uh, weather conditions, uh, hazardous conditions, everything, and. Um, Basically, they made it to where you have 30 points for your entire career, okay. um, and that if you want to take off a weekday, it's two points, a weekend day is four points, and a holiday is 10 points. So if you have 30 points, you take off 10 points. Um, but here's the kicker. Please. You have to work 14 days consecutively in a row without any time off whatsoever what? to earn four points back. Yes. This is this is what rail this is what is happening, and that is why you've had over three thousand TYNE employees out of out of one class one quit since February of this year. That's why the railroad workers have been trying to strike. Jesus. It's not about money. It's not about wages. It's not about health care. It's about people are literally losing their families. Yep. They're going through multiple divorces. They don't see their kids anymore. Um, I have had people. I mean, when you walk into a terminal. Um, it's like walking into a funeral home for the living. Morale is the absolute lowest it has ever been in a decade. And people are walking away. People are walking away in the thousands and they're not coming back. So just because this, so just because this agreement was signed into law and with the Senate voting down unpaid sick days, Congress and the Senate, multi-millionaires, multi, you know, people with millions, much more than what, 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 what we'll ever see. They have unlimited sick time. <laughs> we don't even get sick time. 
and they've spun it in the corporate media beautifully where they go, oh, these guys make 140000 a year, and that, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they have all this time. And it's like, um, it's like no, 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 this is all cherry-picked data. The unfortunate <laughs> reality is this. The, the, um, I'm going to be very brief about this. The sure. unfortunate reality is this. They are circumventing federal law, okay? So you okay. have, you have um, hazardous material that if this stuff derails, I'm trying to be very clear here. If you have stuff that's going through Southern California or going through a high-populated area, high-threat urban area limits, if anything happens, it'll 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 kill people by the thousands if these trains right. derail. Oh, I know. And I know. What you're and what you're having is you're having crews, okay, twelve to sixteen hour days. You go to a hotel, you sit in a hotel in a CD motel for eighteen to twenty hours, not knowing when you're going to go back to work, when you're, right. they're going to call you. You get back on a train for twelve hours, you're home for 10, 10 hours, and you're right back out, and it doesn't stop. And Incredible. and what they do is is they get you to like your fourth or your fifth start when you're supposed to have a mandatory forty eight hour rest period imposed right. by the federal government. And what they do is they is they deadhead you home or they make you rot in the hotel for more than twenty four hours. So it resets your starts back to zero and you're back at it again. That's how they Jay, get around this. Let me ask you really quick: What would have happened sure. if a strike had happened before Christmas? What would that have looked like? Because I'm thinking more and more it might have been something inspiring. Well, um, honestly, you probably would have seen that this is the last gasp, I think, of rail labor. And you're going to see a mass exodus of, of hundreds of employees come after their back pay hit. And it's going to affect the economy still. So that's what you're going to see. Jay, thank you so much for your service on the railroad. And thank you for sharing your expertise. I really do appreciate it. Dylan in New Mexico. Hello. Oh, my God. I cannot. I love it when that guy calls, man. It makes my mind. He doesn't need to get so angry, but it's like this conservative Catholic thing where, and I grew up around it. You you say anything that goes against. Oh, my. No, but they think think that they own Jesus. They think all this stuff belongs to them. Oh, my God. Well, listen, this this yay shit is so fucking annoying, but. Mm. If, if we're talking about it, we're talking about it. In fact, he went on Alex Jones' show. Okay, so I'm I'm a Catholic. I understand you got to love everyone. You know, you don't have to like everyone, but you got to love everyone. You, you know, yeah, exactly. you got to love. I mean, you got to love Trump, even though the guy's a piece of shit. You don't got to like him. You I don't. Have, I don't like anything he does. I, I, you know, I wouldn't go no. if if Donald Trump exactly. needed bone marrow and I was the only donor match. I'd be even if I wasn't. I would be there if Donald Trump needed exactly. blood and I was the match. I'd be there for him. I don't want him to suffer. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, so I under I can get some points of where he was going at because Jesus made I'm a Christian. God made all of us. God made Hitler. God made fucking Osama bin Laden. And, and that God guy at least admitted Donald that Jesus was a, a brown skinned Jew. He's a right wing guy who can admit that he's you know he's not in denial about that part of it. Go ahead. Sorry. I, exactly. So the the point is is this fucking then he has to but he has to go especially Hitler. And then he has to fucking put a holocaust, a a Nazi symbol on uh, Twitter. You know, it's just so ridiculous, so stupid. But the the point is that you know what? What's the deal? What's the deal with people dogging Jews? They're saying that they're they're holding their record labels. Like, oh, we can't say anything because of record label. Well, look at fucking Jay Z. Jay Z fucking made his own record label, and that motherfucker is the most powerful, rich artist in the world. I know, the guy, I know. you know, you don't have to, 
If you don't like the label, don't fucking sign the papers, dude. But it's like, don't but it's fucking like you think, sign the papers. You think Kanye's ever had to deal with an unscrupulous Gentile agent in his life? I can pretty much guarantee he has. You know, there's plenty of non-Jews in the entertainment and legal fields. Plenty of them. Yes. But weak it's, it's men need scapegoats. Weak men need scapegoats. And Kanye, as no, we know, they, this, this is a very weak thing. man. They, a very weak man. And he... This is the problem. They are they're going around and they're trying to find someone to blame. They're, they're blaming the Jews. I have a secret for them. And this is not every single rich, wealthy, white man, but rich, wealthy, greedy, white men are Please. the ones that are fucking running the show. How come yeah. we're not, you know, Elon Musk? He's a greedy, yeah. rich, white man. Yeah, uh, but Jeff see, Bezos, but see, but, but, a greedy, but rich, and by the way, white man. But, but no one in the Republican Party gives a rat's ass about Kanye either. They're all using each other. They're all just of using course. each other. And the overall goal they all have, well, it's not one goal. They all have their own goals because they're all just out for themselves using each other. It's a cult of selfishness. And those always turn against no each one, other. No one said shit when fucking Trump came down the goddamn escalator and said that Mexican are rapists. And if they didn't write his ass off then, if the news media didn't say fuck this guy then, then I don't give a fuck. These everyone that everyone if you are surprised by anything he says now, That's right. then I don't know what the fuck to tell you, you know? And Dylan, by the way, just the for, for for what it's worth, when Trump came down the escalator and said that stuff, NBC fired him from his own reality show for his racism. <laughs> 